Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you for joining us on AOA here today. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up on our program today, we're going to talk about some of the issues with shortages of veterinarians in rural America and some of the challenges there and how we could try to fix it. Dr. Laura Mulgar, Dean of the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine, going to join us coming up in segment two here today for a discussion. In segment three, we're going to talk with uh, Dr. Sandro Steinbach. He's an associate professor at North Dakota State University. and He's also been named to, as a fellow for Farm Foundation here in 2024. We're going to learn more about that and also have a broader ag economy discussion with Dr. Steinbach coming up here in segment three after the bottom of the hour. And then at the end of the show, we're going to take a look at what is happening in these markets ahead of the big USDA reports later in the week. Garrett Toy with Ag Trader Talk going to join us coming up here at the end of today's AOA. Kicking things off, though, Cattle Convention coming up in just a few short weeks away in Orlando, Florida. We're going to learn more about some of the uh, different workshops and forums that are happening during this year's Cattle Con. Joining us now to discuss that, he is the Senior Executive Director of Producer Education and Sustainability with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Josh White is with us here on AOA today. Josh, great to have you on the program. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you this morning, Jesse? Hey, I'm doing great, Josh. Thanks for joining us here today. And as I mentioned, uh, CattleCon 24, it's right around the corner, coming up here just a few short weeks away. And I know that we have a lot of great stuff on the agenda, including a grazing management workshop. Talk about that, uh, a new session. And I know that's going to help kind of kick things off, I believe, uh, during CattleCon this year. So talk about that a little bit to start. That's right. Uh, Tuesday, January 30th, we'll, uh, we'll have lunch as part of this grazing management workshop, kick things off. And it's really designed to be hands-on um, with experts from around the country, certainly in your region, wherever you're coming from. We have folks from the Southeast, the Midwest, and the Far West. Um, we'll be dividing the group into two rooms, uh, a room where it rains quite a bit and a room where maybe it doesn't rain quite so much, uh, knowing that changes year to year. But um, we've got folks uh, there to help from Noble Research Institute, NRCS, and then forage extension specialists from around the country, as well as our past Environmental Stewardship Award winners from around the country that will be at the tables. Uh, will be mm -hmm. divided up into a table that focuses more on maybe fencing strategies, uh, another one that focuses on forage. We've got one on water development. And then we've also got some service providers that you know have experience with designing and installing various technologies or even utilizing apps and other resources. Um, great sponsorship by USDA, NRCS, um, and then Enview, which is a spinoff from Bayer, and they have a lot of uh, technology around grazing so um we're really excited about it it's the first time we've done something like this on the front end and uh in a long time anyway maybe maybe back before my time they, they tried it but not in the last sure. year or so 
Well, and I feel like with everything that you guys are going to cover during the grazing management workshop, it's it's more or less an opportunity to uh, allow producers to think and, and get new ideas and and look at some of the ways they do things on their operation. That seems to be kind of at the heart of this workshop, isn't it, Josh? That's it. A lot of uh, different opinions and thinking outside the box, looking at some new technology or ideas. You know, another big thing for most producers is it's in their head, but maybe they don't have it written down in a way that anybody else could understand it. And as we think about the big generational transfer push that's going to happen throughout the country in ag and outside of ag in the next 20 years, we got to start writing some things down if we're going to hand this up, these operations over uh, in any meaningful way. And I think that's another big, big point. You know, even if you're not able to attend, We'd love for you to check out some of the resources that we're building online at ncba.org and folks like the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Beef and NRCS and Grazing Lands Coalition, uh, Nat GLC. You know, there's a lot of great resources out there to help you get started on this journey. Josh, I know as well, uh, a lot of other great events happening during CattleCon 24, uh, Sustainability Forum, and I know sustainability in general is going to be a hot topic again this year. Uh, talk about that coming up on day two of Cattle Convention this year. Sure, yeah. This is an education-packed cattle industry convention this year, no doubt. We've stretched Cattlemen's College throughout the week. We've got a sustainability forum that I think is one that uh, people will remember for a long time because we've got Dr. Miles Allen coming from uh, from England. He uh, He's really one of the godfathers of some of the methane research and, and trying to accurately account for greenhouse gas. Um, he doesn't come over to the States very often, so we're really fortunate to have him. And he's a no BS kind of guy. You know, he he's famous for um, being kind of the godfather of GWP star, which is an accounting method for methane calculation that seems to be a lot more favorable and realistic and just quote-unquote truthful around how methane lives in the environment. Uh, but at the same time, he's, he's certainly not going to give agriculture a free pass. We're all, uh, you know, have levers we can pull to help. But one of the things I'm excited about is that the beef cattle industry is really positioned to help be a solution on some of this climate discussion and sustainability. And I think Dr. Allen will shoot straight with us and, and really help us understand what that looks like. Well, Josh, uh, great thoughts. Anything else that you're excited about here during uh, Cattle Convention coming up here just a few weeks? Uh, as you said, there is a lot going on, a lot of education going to be happening. Uh, anything else you'd want to highlight for us real quick? Sure, yeah. Like I mentioned, Cattlemen's College uh, is, is a little different this year. It's scattered throughout the week. We'll do a keynote lunch kickoff on Wednesday, and then we have sessions Thursday and Friday. Of course, anyone coming into the trade show, even just a one-day attendee, can check out our stockmanship and stewardship demonstration arena, where we'll have quite a few presentations. Uh, we'll offer a beef quality assurance certification on-site on Friday. Um, so lots of activity, lots of stuff going on. Really look forward to seeing everybody down there. I know it's pretty cold in Denver this morning, so I'm looking forward to the warmer weather, and I hope the weather breaks to make people feel comfortable leaving home. 
And I would agree. I think a lot of folks are looking forward to some warm weather in Orlando and uh, cattle industry convention coming up January 31st through February 2nd. And uh, Josh, I know folks want to get registered, want to look at the full schedule, convention.ncba.org is a great place to start, isn't it? That's where to start. You can find it all Convention. There. Yeah, convention.ncba.org. You can find all the information there. And with that, Josh White, Senior Executive Director, Producer Education and Sustainability at NCBA. Josh, thanks for the time here today on AOA. Really appreciate it. We'll see you at Cattle Industry Convention in a few weeks. Thanks, Jesse. Good luck keeping the cattle fed and the high off the water, everybody. Josh White there with NCBA. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about the rural vet shortage with Dr. Laura Molgard from the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine. That's next here on AOA. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically and, of course, demand building, too. You know, they can't go to the Hill and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F and D. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, 
They Hear You. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. Information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us the Dean of the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Laura Molgard is with us. And Dr. Molgard, thanks so much for joining us on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's talk about the overall shortage of veterinary services across this country. I, I know this is a big issue. It has been a big issue for some time. Tell us a little bit more about the current state of things. Is this still a major issue as we start 2024? Where do we stand? Yeah, we don't have any new evidence that tells us that anything has changed. So, yes, we believe that this challenge continues. Well, I know that this has been something that some folks have pointed to, you know, COVID maybe being a reason why we have a shortage of vets across the country. But I believe this issue has kind of been going longer than that, hasn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. No, COVID, COVID uh, certainly exacerbated things and it made things more acute. But this has been going on for quite a bit longer. In fact, the data that we have from the American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges shows us that this has been going on since at least 1980. So what is the main reason for the shortage? Is this a, is it a barrier to entry in the field? Is it, is it a wage issue? I, I know folks like you at the college there are obviously doing great things to try and bring young folks into the veterinary field. So what are the biggest challenges right now? Right. Uh, it's certainly multifaceted, but I would say that the biggest drivers are that the demand for veterinary services has increased and the supply of veterinarians has remained fairly flat until quite recently. So the demand for veterinary services uh, is documented as increasing beginning and in at least since 1980. So the, the number of households having animals and uh, has increased and the, uh, also the demand for veterinary services. Uh, so that can be attributed to things like the human animal bond people uh, wanting more services for the, the, the animals and especially pets that they have uh, has increased uh, and the number of pets has increased as well. Well, I know lawmakers have reintroduced the Rural Veterinary Workforce Act, formerly known as the Veterinary Medicine Loan Repayment Program Enhancement Act. Is that something that you, could, you think could help uh, possibly with the rural vet shortage? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's definitely a piece of the puzzle, and I'm extremely supportive of that. That um, that what that what that bill is really about is removing federal taxation of existing federal loan repayment uh, support, and that would be great because if that uh, funding were not taxed, it would support more veterinarians. So that would be a good thing. Talk about your role as Dean of uh, the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine. What are some of the things that you and the university is doing to not only send great candidates out into the workforce, but also bring in new students who are interested in veterinary medicine? 
Well, that's that's a really important question. That's where I can share a lot of information. So the college has been doing a lot of things for many, many years to address this challenge because this challenge isn't new. Uh, and so we begin with uh, outreach. We do outreach to young people to get them interested in the veterinary field. We try to reach people uh, certainly who are already interested in veterinary medicine, but also those who maybe don't know that they're interested, that don't um, picture themselves as being uh, uh, seeing themselves in that veterinary role. Maybe they think that they would love that, but they don't think that they would be qualified. And we want to make sure that they know that there might be a place for them and how to get prepared for veterinary school. Uh, they might have heard um, some kind of outdated information about what it takes to become a veterinarian, and we want to let them know it's not just all about grades. There are a lot of other things that go into being a veterinarian, and so we want to encourage young people to consider this as a career path. We want them to know that there are a lot of different facets of being a veterinarian, that uh, veterinarians work with um, farm animals, production animals, veterinarians can work with companion animals, veterinarians can work in public health and in biomedical research, improving the health of animals and of people uh, in wildlife. There are so many different ways that uh, veterinarians can improve the health of animals, people, and the environment we share. So outreach is one of the places where we start. <clears throat> then well we I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. Continue on, please. What are some of the other areas? Yeah. Then we move on to recruitment. So once once uh, once we have young people who are already pre-vet, then we want to get out there and recruit and encourage uh, pre-vet students to consider the University of Minnesota because we know we have absolutely phenomenal programs for them. And so an example of that is our Vet Fast program, our Food Animal Scholars Track program. Because we have a food animal education program that I believe is absolutely second to none, we want to recruit uh, pre-vet students from the state of Minnesota to stay here in Minnesota. And so we, our Vet Fast program reaches out to students and lets them know that if you attend uh, the University of Minnesota and the St. Paul campus or Crookston or Morris, uh, that you could enter our Vet Fast program, which has some real advantages to uh, then have a guaranteed uh, spot held for you if you're qualified when you're ready for vet school and some extra mentoring and potentially some great scholarships along the way. So VetFast is a recruitment, one of our many recruitment strategies. Uh, then once a student is in veterinary school, we're providing them with uh, again, a world-class faculty that are doing amazing work to continually enhance that curriculum and make it really second to none, providing students with a great hands-on experience, great mentoring, uh, advice for summer experiences, and then their clinical year experiences to make sure that they are going to be really well prepared to enter the workforce whether that be in a rural mixed practice or production animal specific practice in a variety of species, a lot of great scholarships for them along the way, and then uh, advice and support for these loan repayment programs, whether it be the federal loan repayment program or the Minnesota veterinarian loan repayment program, which by the way, for anybody who might be listening, that program, uh, we're going to be extending the deadline for applications. So look that up, Minnesota Veterinarian Loan Repayment Program, if you're uh, a recent graduate. So those Fantastic. are some of the things we're doing. 
Yeah, fantastic stuff that you guys are doing, and I hope we can see uh, an influx of students into veterinary medicine to help with some of the issues we have out there in rural America. Dr. Molgard, you know, thinking about that, if we don't soon get an influx of more vets to rural America, I mean, in your eyes, what could happen? As you've alluded to, we've been dealing with this issue for quite some time. We have many, many animals out there to care for across the country. I mean, what would happen if we don't start to see some growth and an influx of more vets across the country? Yeah, it's a real risk uh, because veterinarians play multiple roles. It's certainly a risk to animal health, uh, whether we're talking about our companion animals that are important to us in so many ways, but also to our our, um, production animals, our farm animals. Uh, and that is a risk to our agricultural economy, which is a really important part of our state's economy. It's also a risk to our public health. Um, there, there are some diseases that are shared between animals and people, and uh, those are called zoonotic diseases. And when we don't have veterinarians there on the front line to protect and uh, have early detection of those kind of zoonotic diseases, then that's a real risk to not only animal health, but to the health of, of people as well. Uh, and so, and then that also certainly our food supply. Uh, animals are an important part of our food supply. So it's such a multifaceted, um, and the environment we share when we're thinking about some of the uh, diseases of wildlife that are such an important part of our natural environment and our, our heritage here in the state. Many things to think about, Dr. Molgar, before we let you go here today. Anything final you'd want to add or reiterate to folks who are listening in today? Uh, I guess just a reminder that the state does only have one College of Veterinary Medicine and that we're here to support the state in so many ways. Uh, and we really do appreciate the partnership that we have here with the state. Uh, that's really important to us. So thank you for this opportunity. Well, we thank you for the time with that, the Dean of the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine, Dr. Laura Molgard. Dr. Molgard, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Great thoughts there, Dr. Laura Molgard, the Dean of the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine. Thanks to her for joining us on the program today. All right, coming up next, we're going to have a uh, broad conversation about the ag economy as we move into 2024 and talk with the 2024 Ag Economics Trade and Sustainability Fellow with Farm Foundation. He is a Associate Professor of Agribusiness at North Dakota State University. Dr. Zander Steinbach will join us next here on AOA Agriculture of America. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. 
radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains and oil seeds are mostly lower this morning. Beans are the leader in losses. Livestock market is mixed with fats and feeders higher. Hogs are lower. Now, the grain and oil seed complex has been trading mostly sideways to lower, continuing the broader theme of managed money that we are in a commodity deflation mode. Prices of a particular commodity can rally when a supportive headline emerges, such as an attack on a tanker in the Red Sea or a wheat cargo hitting a mine in the Black Sea, but then prices will resume their commodity deflation mode once that headline is in the rearview mirror. We've been in this broader commodity deflation mode for much of the past year and a half. Managed money build short positions within most commodities over that period of time, with a few exceptions exceptions for those commodities that did have a story. The underlying sentiment, though, has made it more difficult to sustain rallies with the broader trend being lower because managed money expected lower inflation in the future than what it saw currently, and it worried about an approaching recession further eroding demand. The broader commodity sector is also mixed, with crude oil pushing higher. Crude oil prices are chopping sideways, spending much of the past month between $70 and $75 per barrel. The choppy sideways nature of the crude oil market is reflecting a market struggling to balance conflicting fundamentals. Support is coming from geopolitical risks in the Middle East that continue to slowly increase. The market is concerned about risks that the conflict could spread to the point of negatively impacting crude oil output from the region. And yes, attacks on tankers on the Red Sea increase the cost of freight as shippers divert to longer routes. But they don't ultimately change the overall supply. They lengthen shipping routes, which then ties up tankers longer for each delivery while adding costs. But they don't change supply in the long term. The true risks here to supply come if attacks are made on production and shipping infrastructure. The VIX is trading just below 13 this morning, while the dollar is just slightly lower and crude oil prices are over 1% higher, supported by those risks in the Middle East. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the WASPs. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Joining us now, he has been named the 2024 Agricultural Economics Trade and Sustainability Fellow by Farm Foundation. Farm Foundation, of course, an accelerator of practical solutions for agriculture. He is uh, an associate professor of agribusiness and applied economics at North Dakota State University in Fargo. 
Dr. Sandro Steinbach is with us. And uh, Dr. Steinbach, thanks for joining us here on the program today. Great to uh, have a conversation with you. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great and I'm happy to be here today and talk about this exciting opportunity. Well, let's dive in and talk about this opportunity again. Congratulations on being named uh, as the uh, Economics, Trade, and Sustainability Fellow for Farm Foundation in 2024. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your feelings as you um, got named to be the fellow and uh, your reaction to the news. Let's just start there. Yeah, it's a super, super selective program, and I was very much thrilled, actually, to get that opportunity to work with the Farm Foundation over a year to be their Trade and Sustainability Fellow for that year. And I expect it really to be a great opportunity to engage with, you know, stakeholders across the region, but also nationwide and engage with the Office of Chief Economist of the United States Department of Agriculture, learning more, engaging, um, being, being, being there and having the opportunity actually to meet new people and in that sense, making making new connections actually that help to advance our trade and policy research and engagement across the United States. Well, and that's a hot topic right now too. And uh, so it's it's great that you have been named one of these fellows, and as you mentioned, can interact and and, and learn more and discuss because uh, we think about just where ag policy, international trade, the ag economy in general sits here as we get into 2024 and. Uh, there is a lot on the table right now in front of us between wars and shipping challenges and trying to get new trade deals. I mean, it just it feels like every corner of the ag sector has a story right now, doesn't it? Yeah, there, there's a lot going on. I mean, when it comes to the farm bill, right, we haven't passed one. We are on a continuation bill. Hopefully, Jan, February, there will be some movement of those things. Uh, fingers crossed before we get into the election year. So there's there's a lot on that front, but also on the other hand, I mean, there's a lot, lot of negative and positive movement in terms of uh, trade relationships, but also developing new trade agreements. I mean, one big thing that had been recently coming up, right, is the, uh, the committee on the Chinese Communist Party actually that made that determination to revoke the permanent normal trade relationship status with, with China. So these are these are big concerns actually that that are coming up that can maybe have very significant implications for for U.S. agriculture, so on the negative side, on the surprising side, but seeing also all these disruptions that we see in terms of global trade in the Red Sea right now, I mean, these things are exaggerating and are potentially having implications um, for, for U.S. agriculture as well as markets are shifting and transport costs are rising. These things are going to be, be, be fed forward into the ag economy as well. And you bring up the Red Sea challenges, and obviously with the war in Gaza, this is a, a big issue, and it feels like the Middle East is kind of a powder keg. It also kind of feels like it's exaggerated, too. I mean, shippers are having to go around the Horn of Africa uh, instead of using the Suez Canal and the Red Sea, but then we think about low water levels on the Panama Canal creating issues. Uh, we've seen other sorts of logistical challenges here in the U.S., whether it be the Mississippi River with low water levels there, rail issues and more. Uh, would you say that logistics here in this first quarter of the year are probably at least one or the number one A uh, issue that we have to watch for in terms of the ag economy right now? Definitely. It's not just an issue for the next quarter. It's a big thing moving forward, particularly with climate change and induced um, changes 
having significant implication for transportation. We just did a recent study actually looking in the Mississippi River drought and how that impacted agricultural export. And there are quite significant changes actually that, that lie ahead of US agriculture with these kind of sheep uh, transportation actually becoming less available and, and more volatile actually. And that speaks not just to transportation on the Mississippi River, River but also Panama Canal, right? I mean, limiting ships that can go through um, if if you if you pay for it, you can go early, but that's not usually the grain shippers that do that. So there's a significant delays with, that that come with that, but it's also an issue of cost, right? If a ship doesn't move, it costs about four hundred thousand dollar a day standing in front of a in front of a on front of the of the Panama Canal, for instance. So there's significant costs that you have to give somewhere, and, and that's a concern. We want to get our products to market on time. But also in 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 a time and in a cost sensitive manner. Well, I would have to think too that with some of that cost increase, with some of the shipping challenges, I, I know a lot of our farmers, you know, last year and going into this year too, are planting some of the most expensive crops they've ever put into the ground. I know there's a lot of concern in farm country about the cost of inputs and commodity prices have definitely turned lower as we get into 2024. So, but you think about some of those shipping costs too, if we have those passed on down to our farmers and ranchers, man, that's that's got to be a pretty uh, pretty substantial cost price squeeze, I would have to think, ahead of us here, isn't it? Yeah, and, and that's an important point, right? I mean, there's more volatility in the market, and that's, that, that's the main factor here. There's both upside and downside risk. In certain years, you have a lot more you know, upside in some, some 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 sense, but for other years, you you experience a lot more downside, and that downside risk is can be can be quite quite dramatic actually. I mean, as you said, fertilizer price had been up significantly, particularly in the upper Midwest area, which had been a huge concern with people buying up fertilizer early to to kind of beat the market basically for a while. But then prices came down, so there's a lot more volatility in that market that that can be of concern. And, and the issue is that our current trade policies actually don't don't really foster reducing that volatility, but instead they contribute to increase in, in market volatilities that farmers face for their products. On the uh, in the ag policy front too, you brought up the farm bill earlier, and I, I know that's something that obviously we need to get a new five year farm bill passed. We think about the. I'd say the lack of trade deals, though, over the last few years and, and thinking about our global export markets and partners, I, I would have to think that's a, a pretty substantial issue that more than likely is going to be tackled after this next presidential election, depending on what administration is in office, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. I don't expect any big movements. I mean, there's nothing in the in the drawer right now that can be taken out and can move quickly, basically. So I expect these negotiation to hopefully get full swing once once a new president is elected. Actually, um, even even for the farm bill itself, right? I mean, Senate has has, has done its part, and now they wait for Congress to come together and hopefully do their part in Jan February, and then come up with a decision. So, uh, this process itself might might take a couple of months longer, and that's a big concern, right? Because uh, U.S. farmers depend heavily on having a farm bill in place, but it's not just U.S. farmers. It's also the U.S. consumer via, via SNAP programs and others that, that benefit directly from what is in the farm bill. 
there's some folks who have said too that there's not enough farm in the farm bill and you mentioned snap is that something that in, in your work that you've looked at do you do you feel like there there could stand to be a little bit more emphasis on farm versus nutrition in the farm bill potentially what's your thoughts on on that split and the way that's kind of shaken itself out the last few years and last few farm bills so I think when it comes to negotiating a farm bill, it's always uh, finding a common ground. And nutrition is a common ground that is that is appealing very much to urban areas and urban voters in a certain degree, which is less of an issue for, for, for rural voters. Obviously, there are benefits for those too, but it's 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 less 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 significant. Obviously, the the ag production part is, is significantly more important for, for rural rural producers in some sense. However, when it comes to you know getting getting a, a bill passed, actually you want to have both components in there because how you how you sell to an urban urban household that, there, that there's a benefit of supporting the, the rural economy. Why why should they pay for crop insurance? Where do they see a benefit? Yes, the indirect benefits by lowering prices for for products by having higher quality products, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, in in the market. But communicating these things is, 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 is not as straightforward as, as saying there's a direct benefit, actually. So to get buy-in from both sides of the house, it's important that, you know, that there's as a common ground where, where things come together. And, and that's, I think, one of the connecting points where you can basically kill two birds with one stone. And obviously, it's part of the farm bill itself. So having it not separated, having it separated out, I, I don't think that this is something that will fly in. In, on the hill. Well, before we let you go here today, uh, great thoughts. What would you say to producers as they're looking ahead here to 2024? What should they keep in mind? What should they think about if you had one or two things to share with them just to you know keep on the horizon here, so to speak, as we enter into a new year? Yeah, I think I'm having your voice heard. That's, that's the most important thing. Letting people know what, what, what your problems are and, and getting the, the support and the input that you require to be successful in your business activities, meaning engaging with your with your congressional delegations in terms of your needs, in terms of developing policies, um, with your extension offices to engage with whatever advice you need in your business operations, and, and to take some of the risks that you are facing out of that market in, in, and have it better under control, actually. There are great opportunities. I mean, farming economy isn't a dark place. It's a great place to be in, actually. And so um, work together to make the best out of it. Well, we appreciate the time. Associate Professor of Agribusiness at Applied Economics at North Dakota State University and the 2024 Agricultural Economics Trade and Sustainability Fellow with Farm Foundation, Dr. Zandro Seinbach. Thank you for joining us here today on the program. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jesse. Great conversation there, Dr. Zandro Steinbach from North Dakota State University. Okay, coming up next, before we wrap up today's program, we're going to take a look at what's happening in the market trade. Garrett Toy with Ag Trader Talk joins us next here on AOA. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargard disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. 
I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now. Cancer Research is saving lives. Cancer Research, funded by the V Foundation, is leading to new discoveries and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at v.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. On the January episode of the Monthly Grind, we talk about the relationship between the U.S. Grains Council and the NCGA with Denny Vitaconner from NCGA and Ellen Zimmerman from the Grains Council. Our mission is developing markets, enabling trade, and improving lives. And NCGA is, of course, a really important partner in making that happen. We do a lot of work with trade policy, trade servicing, and demand building. And NCGA comes along right beside us in trade policy efforts domestically and, of course, demand building, too. You know, they can't go to the hill and lobby like for more funding for MAP and F and Beef. And that's where we come in. That's our job is to go to the Hill and lobby to get more funds. Or if there's a policy or a trade barrier in another country that's prohibiting trade. And so that's where the growers, we start knocking on doors and making phone calls to representatives to try to help this trade along. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the monthly grind. It's a show you don't want to miss non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure protection services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Corn is native to the American continent and so was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. 
It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA as we take a look at the midweek market action. Kind of a mixed bag, a little more pressure in the soy complex uh, throughout Wednesday's early trade. Kind of quiet in cattle as well. Are these markets largely squaring up positions ahead of Friday's big USDA reports? We're going to talk about that and more. Joining us now, Garrett Toy with Ag Trader Talk. Garrett, good to talk with you again. How are things for you there in Illinois? Well, we're digging out. We had about six to eight inches of wet snow overnight yesterday, and, and uh, kids are finally getting back into school here this morning. But we're digging out. They're talking more for us uh, Friday, but uh, winter has finally reared her ugly head around here. So. Yeah, winter uh, gave us a, a pretty good punch here at the beginning of January. You know, I'd have to think maybe that could help out some soil moisture, at least in some of those dry areas uh, throughout the Midwest. So maybe that's that's one good thing we could take away from the snow, Garrett. <laughs> Absolutely. Always looking on the bright side of life. Yes, sir. Yeah, we got to look at the bright side uh, as much as we can. All right, let's talk about these markets. They're not too bright here as we work through Wednesday's trade. And like I said, a, a little pressure at the soy complex again. I have to think, though, largely that these markets are already uh, squared up positions ahead of Friday's reports. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> there's there's a lot of things going on here that I'm not sure that, uh, you know, Friday's reports have a whole lot of influence. They obviously will have a lot of influence. But what's been going on since we started this calendar year 2024 has largely been a lot of, um, uh, managed money wanting out of commodities if they've had any links. I mean, it's not necessarily South American weather. That doesn't help matters per se. Um, but it's still part of this deflation trade, order flow, um, what, what, what have you. Um, but yeah, beans, uh, corn's down a penny. Beans are down eight to nine cents. Uh, kind of a lackluster rally there yesterday, a, a bounce, if you will. Um, it would be key. We, the, the one big thing here is March beans. If we hold this, thir- uh, excuse me, this twelve thirty-four level, which was the lows yesterday, we haven't really pressed those today. Uh, you know, maybe we can say we're trying to forge a low in here, but um, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of flack in the air here for for marketers who are trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, you know, we're we're looking at one of the the worst starts to 2024 in soybeans since 1984. You know, and if you look at March beans mm-hmm. in 1984. Uh, 1984, March beans didn't bottom until February, but then we rallied all the way back to 
you know, early January levels into expiration. So um, a lot of South American, we didn't have the South American influences in 84, obviously, and, and these are a lot different markets, but it's, it's something to talk about. Now, this morning, we did have Conab come out, um, kind of a precursor to the USDA on Friday. Uh, they put uh, the Brazilian corn, or excuse me, the Brazilian soybean crop uh, right at 155.3, uh, which you know the trade guess for Friday's reports 156.3, and they put corn at 117.6, uh, and the USDA or the, the trades look for 125 because uh, the Conab's um, methodology is they don't really adjust their safrina crop. That's the that's the one that we all kind of watch. Uh, because that's yeah. the exportable the, the exportable supply, but they they cut that summer uh, the summer corn crop uh, down a little bit uh, from their last estimates. Well, thinking about uh, corded soybeans, especially here, you mentioned just some of the weird trade action we've had uh, to begin 2024. Heading into big reports like we have on Friday, are, are you encouraging folks to? Uh, take a hard look at their risk management here and, and maybe getting some sort of protection on possibly here uh, to get through these reports. I, I guess talk to me a little bit about risk management overall in the uh, quartered soybean trade. Absolutely. I mean, because we are right on this major technical support and if you know, whatever the USDA shows on Friday, that could be the catalyst to kind of push us over the edge. Um, I think the, you know, the dollar and a dollar break in soybeans is, <clears throat> really, you know, have has a lot of people nervous, but um, you know the market's kind of trying to do its job here. Uh, you know, we we haven't had a flash sale in in in, in green since December nineteenth, and, and it's kind of discouraging considering the flat price break that we've had in these green markets. Um, that uh, um, you know, we didn't. You know, a lot of export tenders were done uh, overnight in the last this week, and, and we haven't had a flash sales. So, um, you know, yeah, we're managing risk here because you know, if we don't hold these levels, if we don't get a you know sell the room or buy the fact type reaction out of this report, um, you know, there could be more pain in here. I, I the one aspect is is, is um, you know, we haven't, we don't have China around right now. And the last time we're at these levels, we did have China in here buying corn, and and it seems like they're kind of sitting on their hands for the time being. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to watch how this goes. And again, just effective risk management, I think, is so key. Things like short dated options, I'm sure there, there's a lot of tools in the toolbox to help someone out and get through a, a big report like this one on Friday, isn't there, Garrett? Right, there are. We have short. We use the short day amounts. And the one thing is, like, I, I can't get into too much details because of compliance issues. But, but um, as far as what we're actually doing, but you know, don't get caught up looking at the front end either. You're marketing old crop corn, but you know, we still have these corn within a dime of five dollars, and new crop beans at at twelve dollars. Um, you know, <clears throat> don't get caught focusing on the front end of what you have to market at, is of old crop corn and lose sight of this, this new crop situation because uh, uh, even into 25 is, is that I think that it's going to be another tough year of risk management um, because inputs uh, still are just not coming down as, as, as much as the commodity prices are. How about over the livestock trade? Top, top notes for you there in, uh, in cattle and hogs real quick, Garrett. 
Boy, it really looked, it really looked like hogs are going to try to set a bottom in here yesterday, and we just can't see the follow-through here today. We're down 50 to 75 cents. Um, you know, the cattle market have been holding steady. I think we're kind of waiting on some cash trade. Um, but feeders have been pretty well supported here with, cat, with corn under pressure. And uh, as long as that trend continues, I, I suspect that feeders will remain bid uh, for the time being. Garrett, always appreciate insight into the markets from you. Thanks for joining us here today. I know it's going to be a busy wrap to the week, and uh, we appreciate it. Hopefully you uh, stay dug out from that snow, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Take care. Talk to you soon. Garrett Toy with Ag Trader Talk joining us here today on AOA. Well, we're out of time here on our program. Coming up on tomorrow's AOA, we will talk with the NDFU North Dakota Farmers Union President, Mark Watney. Markets with Brian Split from agmarket.net and much more coming up tomorrow on AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. We are the nation's largest integrated healthcare system, providing life-changing care to over 9 million veterans. Our hands are busy, competent, skilled, healing, helping, and friendly. A place where diverse teams come together hand in hand to provide full patient-centered care. Working in state-of-the-art facilities, with influential leaders in healthcare, all with a single goal in mind, to help veterans heal, recover, and get their lives back in a place where everyone plays a part and where your efforts are truly appreciated. A place so innovative and forward-thinking that we're rebuilding hands and where even robots lend a hand. Join hands with us. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov.